to Drummers Only Radio. Drummers Only is the UK's leading drum shop with store locations in Glasgow and Leeds. Our podcasts are full of interviews, gear reviews, and much more from the unique perspective of a drum shop. The show is hosted by two pasty Scottish dudes who talk real fast. Whoa, slow down there, Braveheart. So here's Chris, the Glasgow shop manager, and Adam, the social media manager. Be sure to like, subscribe, and let's do this. So, ladies, Drummers Only Radio, episode number 60, and we are here with the UK session drumming legend, Mr. Neil Wilkinson. Neil, how are you, mate? Oh, great. Yeah, I'm very good at the minute. Nice to see you. You too. You too. So you're on tour with James Morrison? Yeah, um, we're on gig, uh, I think it's number four or five, five, I think. And they're all going okay? Yeah, great. Good houses and receptive audiences? and Yeah, Cardiff. Uh, I think we'll go down in uh, as, as a, uh, a pretty historic gig. It was mayhem. <laughs> really? Yeah, so uh, I'll leave you guys to Google that. It was uh, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We had some uh, female uh, involvement, let's say, in the, oh, uh, in wow. the show. He's, he's, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's a handsome lad. So, um, if you if you're new to Neil and Neil's playing, he, Neil he's been on the the scene for the, since the mid '80s, and he's played with everybody. I've got a note here from Van Morrison, James Morrison, Paul McCartney, Ray Charles, Annie Lennox, Joan Armitage, and Beverly Craven, Ultravox, Mike and the Mechanics. It just goes on and on and on. He's played on Star Wars, American Idol, The Friends Show. Uh, the the musicals Hair and the Carol King musical Beautiful amongst like just regular days at work. And actually, yeah, at, the, at the minute, I'm doing this great one, which, to be honest, after the COVID eighteen months, two years, is um, it's just a godsend. It's amazing. I'm doing this uh, show in London with uh, Beverly Knight. Brilliant. Called uh, Drifters Girl. Right. What, and what's the is it? What kind of music are you playing for that? It's it's the music, all the sixties soul music of the Drifters, and and again, same setup as this. You know, there's uh, basically guitars with amps, uh, acoustic drums, no screens, and we're on stage. It, it's just a great gig, you know. Beverly Knight, I mean, she's awesome. It sounds like listening to you talk about these people. Um, that there's a real resurgence for this sort of real live thing coming back? Well, I don't know if there is, but I, I'd like to think there is. You know, I don't, <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I still think people love like a show, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I, I miss the day, I sort of miss the days when the music was enough, you know. Like mm-hmm. I used to go see gigs at Hammersmith uh, Odeon, as it was then, um, whoever it was, from Michael McDonald to, you know, all the guy, all the. Mm-hmm bands of, the, of that time and there wasn't really a show it was just the music you know mm-hmm. I mean you might have kind of a light show but you didn't have choreography and props and, and, a, and a set you know yeah. so um, I, I like anything that's just purely about the music I love that yeah it's a funny old game because I went to see our dear friend Ash last night in Glasgow he was playing with Tori Amos oh right and a lot of that, I mean, there's three of them on stage. There's a piano when she's got some electronics, his kit and a bass player, but there's still track. It's still all clicked. It's still, you know, and, and I don't know if it's maybe, you know, she, she's not 20 anymore. So maybe she wants it. The tempos have to be a certain way. Well, yeah, yeah again, I think it just depends on the individual, you know, um, mm-hmm. But uh, I just like the, the freedom of, of it, really. And, and if you're working with somebody who also likes that freedom, then, yeah. oh, well, that's, yeah. the, that's the dream, you know. Yeah. And James, he, you know, we, we love the same people from R&B, soul, you know, like from Otis Redding to <laughs> Stevie and Al Green and uh, yeah. Curtis Mayfield and yeah. et cetera, et cetera, you know. Absolutely. And all those gigs seemed to breathe a bit and there was freedom in the uh, arrangement, you know. Yeah, and, and they were... This is going to sound really funny, but they were played. Like, you, you had to be able to play. Like, if you listen to... Uh, what's that really... F- I can't, it's forgot. It's gone. That really famous Al Green song. Let's uh, Stay Together. Yeah. Have you listened? You had the bass drum part in that song. What is it like? Boom. No, it's like... Oh, is it? No way. And it's just like... How the hell is he playing that at that volume and just coaxing it along without it... You know, five guys in a room playing it, and it's just a mega. I don't know if it was Al Jackson Jr. or someone on that. I'm not sure, but just like 
my goodness, what a player to be able to control that. And, and I think if you, it depends on your uh, level of, I think there's many factors to involve from management to um, arrangers and, and also the artist, how much they want to bring the recording to the live event. Sure. And there seems to be this thing of, well, the audience are not going to get it unless they hear that third <laughs> keyboard part with the xylophone uh, part. And, the, you know, and then yeah. James is of the opinion of, well, let's just play the song with the band. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll sound good. And yeah. You record with James, don't you? Well, it, interestingly, I did some tracks with him on an album. I think it was the, I can't remember, a couple of albums ago. I think I did about 12 tracks. And then he changed producer. Right. So I didn't play on that record, but I just did this last one, which is he basically re, um, he, I think to, uh, you could talk about it for half an hour, but I think to sum it up, he wanted, I think he felt that the production on a lot of the songs kind of, I think he wanted to break it, kind of get it, get the production away from the song and just let the song be yeah. what it yeah. is. So yeah. basically we did live takes in the studio with James. So his vocal was live with us oh, in, in the studio. So they're basically, we do one take and then we do a second one and sometimes a third one, but often the first take was, was, was great. Well, because where I'm going to go with that is talking about a guy that, that, that likes this live vibe and, and do, do you get to, do you get licensed with your part? Yeah, big time. So you can just, if, it, if it's not feeling right, you can shift the way you play the kick drum or... Oh yeah, absolutely. And sometimes, I mean, I remember on one, um, we did a festival, uh, I think it was Virgin Festival out in uh, Ireland, maybe, uh, V-Fest. And we were playing Please Don't Stop the Rain, which has this kind of, um, I guess the closest thing to describe would be like a James Gadson mm -hmm. 16th thing. Yeah. That kind of a thing. And James is getting the, the crowd involved. And just on a, a whim, I hadn't pre, I hadn't done it before and I haven't done it since. But that, that gig, I just stopped on about the third bar. Right. It, on the intro, it's just drums. Right. But it just seemed to, they were all clapping. So when I stopped, I'm bam, and they were still clapping for a couple of bars. And then I came back in and James <laughs> looked at me like, yeah. You know. but I, and it just seemed to lift the crowd. It needed a space or a gap or something. And I don't know. It was, I think I just love being in the moment like that where you can kind of be creative. It's not that you're going to play some uber chopsy uh, fusion fill or something, but to have our, you know, license where you might decide to lay in the hi-hat a bit more or, or, bring the dynamics down and, and extend an ending even, you know, yeah. does, where it's that... not, the, the ending isn't always eight bars, you know, the ending could be four times round or he might, he might cut it short and do it as four bars. Yeah. And it's just like, keep your head up and watch. Yeah. It's I, good. Yeah. That eye contact thing is really, really hugely important. It comes with experience though. It's, I don't think it's something that you can teach necessarily. I think it teaches you maybe. Yeah. I think you're right there. Um, yeah, I mean, from doing hundreds of gigs and also uh, listening to the right, to, to that material that, that, that has that, you know. Yeah, I love those Stevie Wonder records from the 70s that started <laughs> with, uh, well, actually, I know there's a couple before, but Talking Book, then Inner Visions, then Full Friendliness and Songs of the Key of Life. And they're, they're tight, but they're loose. Yeah. You know, and there seems to be random sort of cymbal crashes. And, I, I, you know, they're not sort of, defining cymbal crashes on beat one of a section, they can be just part of the a texture within the groove, you know, and it just seems to wash. I, I love that kind of thing. Yes, the, the music's not produced. Right. Or, or, or air quote produced, you know, it's like, of course it's produced, but it's not been like, well, you have to play it exactly the same way because our, de our demographic tells us X, Y, and Z. Or, yeah. Um, and, you know, ma management can be a bit like that with an artist. They can be saying... Um, oh, we need to run track. It's got to sound like the record live, you know. But it's I mean, crazy. Prince wouldn't have done that, you know. It's like, no. oh, well, don't tell me what I'll, you know, I'll just, no. it, don't, don't worry, it's going to sound good, you know. Totally. And I think what's, just even listening to you talk about that, it's sort of triggering this idea that what feels like is missing is the live experience and the record experience are supposed to be different. Yeah. 
the, I think so. They're supposed to be different things. And if you, you, you man, you play with any jazz artist, you play any jazz gig, every tune's going to be different every night. I mean, if, like for instance, one of my favourite uh, albums of all time, One Trick Pony, Paul Simon. Well, there's a lot of beautiful percussion on that record. Ralph McDonald, and he's mm-hmm. playing these beautiful little clave hits and conga parts and little woodblock things that just in between the vocal, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the gig, they, it's not like they thought, oh, we can't get Ralph, so we'll stick it all on track. We'll make Steve play with a <laughs> click. And, you know, it's just, they just have a pretty good band. Richard T, Eric Gale, Tony Levin, Steve Gadd, and let's just play the tune. It's going to sound pretty good, you know. And it's not like you're going, yeah, there's a little conga part there on the album. Yeah, this, you know, I think it's, uh, if you're prepared to just play the song as the band, it's, it, um, and you get good sounds, you know, from and let everybody play, and you've called the right guys. It should work. Yeah, I think that's the key in it. You've called the right guys because you know this. It's, it's, I mean, I my experience of all this is really limited, but I, I can imagine you've been on sessions where it's been the wrong person that's playing another instrument, or maybe even you've been the wrong guy f- for the call, you know, that was a, an old Picaro thing, wasn't it? I'm not the guy, go and get Keltner. If you want Keltner, get Keltner. Don't don't make me play like that. But And then it's just because maybe that person's available and we need to cut it right now. Um, I mean, for instance, um, I was talking to uh, uh, Richard Milner, our keyboard player, earlier today, or maybe yesterday. Uh, one of the things that kind of uh, I, I don't handle very well is when people say to me, uh, oh, yeah, um, yeah, that's that that sounded really good, that take. Now do something that you uh, would never dream of, you know. Mm. And mm-hmm. I think, well, yeah, I mean, I like to be pushed a little bit and say, you know, how about if we try something or, you know, try and be, bring an extra something. Yeah. But to then kind of tip the whole thing 180 on its head and sort of say, how about doing something that's completely wrong for the track that you wouldn't do? And it's like, well, oh, yeah. that, 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 I don't handle that very well. And the other thing is when they'll say, kind of, yeah, it's good, but it's pretty tight. Could you play kind of drunk? Yeah. You know, and I'm th- that's when I think, yeah, you need somebody who plays like that, really. Yeah, totally. Because if I try and do it, it's gonna, it, I can always hear it. It sounds contrived, you know. Yeah, and I, I think there's nothing worse when you're trying to make honest music. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. I, I, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I, I like to pull it around a little. You know, maybe I'll, I'll be thinking of Ringo or Charlie Watts or some New Orleans thing or something. But when it, you know, they want it really sloppy and almost kind of like, you know, when they say play like a child, and I'm just thinking, yeah, it's, you know. Yeah. Ta- I've, done my, I've, done, I've done my best. You know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um just on that, like with a CV like yours, how do you balance being humble and being confident? Because I think that's a real thing for people. It's like you, you've just said, I don't, you know, I don't take to that. So you, you'll understand a your worth, b what you can do, what you can't. Do. How do you balance all that, but still stay humble with it and not be like? Yeah, I think just being open to the music, really, to to what's being presented to you, you know, and just thinking, well. I hear this, I hear this, and, you know, and if it works, great. But if mm-hmm. not, then maybe it's, it's not going to work, you know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the confidence thing is a, is a little tricky thing because, um, yeah, you don't ever want to be in a position where you're uh, sort of second-guessing yourself. Or if you are, you don't want to let people see that, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I often say, imagine like a guy coming around to fix your electricity or your plumbing or something. He's kind of going... Um, yeah, uh, I think it's that the pipe that. Yeah, uh, I think that's it. Um, yeah, or uh, yeah, just leave. Oh, I'll be a wow, he's, he's, somebody else. Yeah, he's not getting paid, is he? That guy's not getting paid, man. No chance. Yeah, I'll just do this one, and we'll see why. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> totally, you know, totally. So you, you sort of want to say you want to give the impression of uh, I, I feel anyway, like yeah, this is this is all good, you know, um, and and that it's. Uh, maybe trying to build up a relationship where it's a two-way street, but that you are, um, that, that you can deliver, you know. Also, I think the guys, the other guys that you're playing with, uh, really lean on that, you know. I mean, mm. you know, it, not just on the drums. I mean, I'm, I'm sometimes going to lean on guitar or bass or keyboards for, you know, where's the time? You know, mm. maybe I should try and fit with that or, you know, if that's kind of, Oh yeah, that feels good, you know. So yeah. Try and, yeah. 
you, you know, it's not, I don't think always you should be like, like, hey, listen to me. This is, this is where it is. You know, sometimes it's not, you know. Sure. Do you think that comes from like the, just the function of the instrument where people are looking at the drummer all the time? Like, you've got it, man. It's your time. You know, when it's not, it's, 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 it should be collective. Yeah, and also I think now with click, to a certain degree, that's, um, you know, because even though I know a lot of live gigs and not necessarily big gigs like this, but a lot of small gigs like pub gigs or restaurants, people still are running click, you know. So in a way, um, that sort of DNA time um, is removed to a certain degree because the, the, the click is the click, you know. Yeah. I just like the... the um, what was it Gad said that a groove is basically an agreement. <laughs> uh, and I, I love that, you know, that yeah. somebody says, Hey, how about, and uh, yeah, uh, yeah, there we go. That's Abs- I remember reading an interview with Vinny. It was like one of the most recent ones he did for rhythm, I think. And he was talking about the click and he was talking about, he, he did a take on a session and the engineer was like, shall we have a listen? Like, sure. Great. And he walks into the control room and the guy's gridding him. And he's like, man, what you're doing is like, oh, I'm just, I'm just putting you on the grid, man. You're just a little kind of behind, and he didn't say anything. He just, just let it go because he's fucking Vinny, you know. And the guy, play, the guy plays back the track. He's like, that sounds really bad. He's like, yeah, because you gridded me, man. I know where to play, and it's not even. It's like we're not even making music with our ears now. We're just looking at a computer screen, and that's telling us that. It's. I know it's a cliche, but people do listen with their eyes now. Not just engineers or producers, but you know, on YouTube or Instagram or whatever it is, you know, you kind of uh, tend to, it's a, become a sort of visual medium now. I mean, and I know this, but, you know, I did all those drum hang things last year uh-huh. during lockdown, um, you know, and I think people have got into a thing where it's got to be impressive mm-hmm. uh, from a, a kind of visual chops point of view. And like Vinny was saying, people are, crossing their arms and Vinny said I spent my whole life learning how to not cross my arms <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally. you know and then suddenly it's like it's got to be this otherwise it's not cool you know so I know. it's uh, it's bonkers and it's, the funny thing about all that is like I, I, when I'm doing an interview like this I try and research as much as I can and it, inevitably that will take me to YouTube to let's get a look and if I put your name in on YouTube, there's not a tremendous amount there. I, I stay away from it, really. But you're working all the time. <laughs> yeah. And this is, what, this is the joke, isn't it? It's that the guys that are really working all the time. Well, actually, I mean, the funny thing is, I, I dabble a little bit because I like to look at the people I like to look at. I like to follow some pictures might come up from the old days or, mm. uh, you know, just some inspiration that you haven't even thought about it. you can get inspired just by a i mean i saw a picture of art taylor right. the guy who played on a lot of blue nut records you know yeah, yeah. and i was like man it just fight it just let i was like wow that's great it was only a black and white photo but it just evoked this sort of mood and vibe and i, was, I couldn't wait to get to play it, you know <laughs> um so and then you know i like to post pictures of the kit at abbey road or yeah. or on tour or something you know and i know because um, a friend of mine said, look, the thing is, if you were 14 or 16 and you could look at uh, Kenny Clare's drum set back in the day when I was a kid, mm-hmm. um, you would have loved that, right? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. So pictures yeah. from behind the kit or yeah, it's great, you know, but um, it's become such a crutch now, you know, and uh, I know, um, you know, like Ian Thomas, for instance, he doesn't even go near social media. He hasn't no. even got an account, you know. Yeah, and he's like, much like you he's yeah all the time just constantly working and most of the top guys are you know like some like what was your man that um a really famous trumpet player played on all the bond stuff oh uh Derek Watkins yeah I mean was he anywhere near any of it like it seems to be instrument kind of related you get a lot of guitarists a lot of bass players a lot of drummers I mean you won't really find you know, the first flute player in the London Symphony probably has got like millions of, of videos of him. I don't know, maybe he has, but I can't imagine that, you know. Yeah, I mean, obviously, drums can be, like I say, it is a very visual thing, you know. So. Of, of course it is, you know, but I think that, the, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that it, none of it really matters when you're... Right. Because it's not, it's not about the music. Right. To do your job, it's about the music. 
Yeah, it's essentially and it should be uh, an audible medium. Yeah. Talking of that, you you're really um you're really well versed in music. Like your record collection is is pretty pre- pretty big. And so, how does that inform your daily gig, man? Like, yeah, big time. I mean, uh, if truth be told, my wife and my boys would probably uh, say, yeah, he plays songs in Key of Life, <laughs> One Trick Pony, uh, Abbey Road, uh, Sergeant Peppers, you know, and a couple others. You know, like probably. Uh, you know, uh, kind of blue miles, uh, couple I mean, of couple train albums. You yeah. know, there's probably about twenty albums. But yeah, I, but I do listen constantly, and and you know, uh, most of my listening is probably on mm. on the phone with these. But um, yeah, I haven't got a lot of records, but I've got a couple of hundred of, of all my favourites. So, like, if if you you're on a session and you hear something, do you know the vibe? You got the vibe right away, and like, yeah, I actually think that's much i think it's really really important and overlooked mm. you know when i say uh i had a young guy ran for a lesson year a year or so before lockdown mm-hmm. and we we were talking about you know it's not long maybe a minute before steve gad comes up in my you know and the guy said yeah i love steve gad you know it's great you know and um I said, oh, what have you heard? And he said, oh, I saw this clip on YouTube. We've been playing October Road or something. You know, yeah. And I said, oh, cool. Have you heard this? And, uh, of course, I pull out, I think it was um, a Japanese album called the New York All-Stars. Brilliant. Uh, with a, with a, keyboard, a Japanese keyboard player called June Fukamachi in about <laughs> 1978. Amazing. And it's got one of the most ridiculous solos I've ever heard. The, really? the, the precision and the ideas and the expression and the, the uh, it's one of the things I remember at the time, okay, we've, the game has shifted so far away from what we know before. This is a real game changer, you know? Yeah. It's called, yeah, Jun Fukimachi and the New York All-Stars. I'll try and get it out. Oh, it's called Love Play. Right. Uh, the, the the track, the solo at the end. So I sat the guy down in front of my turntable and put this on pretty loud, you know, and watched the blood drain from his face, kind of going, who's that? You know, yeah. I said, that's Steve Gadd. You know, it's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> I think a, a lot of young guys picture Gadd kind of, you know, you know, with this beautiful lilty bat. Yeah. I remember being at college and first year and I played, um, for one of my recitals, I played Humpty Dumpty. Ah, there you go. And when you put that put that record on, man, Jesus, oh, amazing! And and you you still can't believe it's the guy that's playing Crazy Army that's playing behind that. Yeah, or when, especially when you listen to something like say, um, you know, like he's playing with Paul Simon, or yeah. Yeah. or some of the really uh, there's a great album called City Lights, Doctor John, and it's a yeah. really dirty, greasy grooves. You know, it just it's, it's like two completely different guys. It's it's amazing, absolutely incredible. Um, but that, that must be, it must be odd now for, for guys coming up to go into sessions and that's not even a thing. Like, I'd imagine coming up, somebody's like, give me this kind of vibe and you go, okay, well, I've got that reference, you know. like. Yeah, I mean, I haven't got all of them because if somebody no, but... says to me, uh, you know, it's a thrash metal thing, I'm like, oh, geez, uh, well, I'm definitely not going to be the right guy. <laughs> but, but within what I think of as like a central core of... Uh, of, of, I mean, I guess you could argue it's basically popular music, but that would incorporate jazz and funk and reggae and, uh, you know. I mean, it was back, back then we had to learn to play styles. You had to learn to play a, a bossa nova to pass your exams and, you know, and it's kind of go, it's disappearing now. Yeah, I think so. And um, and I think just that, um, my opinion is that all that music you listen to is just that's what informs you. It, 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 you know, I mean, you can't you can't walk onto a gig and and they um, let's say James wants to rehearse something mm-hmm. um, and there's no guitar for say an eight bar intro. Well, when the guitar comes in on the verse, well, that guitar part is going to be informed by or or the drum part is going to be informed by me thinking like oh. Um, it needs this kind of dynamic. It needs this sort of amount of uh, density, um, textures, you know, a groove, whether I'm going to play all the backbeat, no backbeat, or just bass drum or, you know, and it's all informed from what mm-hmm. you've listened to over 
well, constantly. You know. Yeah. That's, so pretty. I think you always, you know, I think it's it's almost like a virtual iPod or a virtual, <laughs> yeah, you know, in, in your brain that you just draw on, you know. Yeah. Um, talk a bit for me about about Deppin because you, I was talking to you know Alan Dale. Yeah, yeah. So Alan's a good mate of mine. Used to teach me. Yeah, he's, he's, he, um, and he was talking. We were talking. We were, he was round for dinner last week, and we've had him on the podcast and all that. And he was talking about the stages where you would just dep on in the West End on like a bunch of different things. You would just kind of walk in, maybe sit in for two. Sh- no, you. He was talking about. We were talking because I, I I told him that I was going to be talking to you and. We, you know, just the reality. What's the, like the reality of depping on shows like that these days? I mean, that I would say for me that is the hardest thing to do. Really? Yeah, because um, it, it, you don't, you don't rehearse at all. In mm. fact, you don't touch. You don't even hear the band mm. and, until beat one. You know, yeah. you start playing. That's the first time you hit and you hear on the gig. So. Uh, it's it's a pretty thankless thing to do, really, you know, and uh, you're really putting yourself in, <laughs> in the firing line, you know. Uh, it's just even as a skill set, like, what do you need to even be able to do that? Like, you've got to listen. Uh, actually, I'm glad you brought that up because in a funny way, we're going full circle to what you were saying about having um, uh, a bit of license or freedom with the part. Mm. Because um, uh, Tim Goodyear mm-hmm. uh, asked Hamilton. me if I'd be interested yeah, asked me if I was going on Hamilton. I said, well, uh, this is, I think he'd only, or maybe he hadn't even started it. Um, so I said, he was just trying to line up a couple of guys who might be interested in coming into Depp, you know. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, I don't know anything about it. What is it? And he said, oh, you'll love it. It's basically grooves all night. It's like hip hop and funk. And, you know, yeah. I said, oh, yeah, great. And purely by accident, I happened to see about a week later, the guy in Broadway, Andres. With the crazy setup of, of um, five snare drums, drums and, and all that, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and stuff. And uh, I've spoken to a couple of guys who've done the gig, and they've said that, like, where the floor tom is over here, there's, there's like a, a, a trigger pad just overhanging the floor tom. <laughs> and, just above, and just above that, there's a China symbol. Right, wow. So, and you've got, and you're reading over this side. Yeah. Now, <laughs> there's no way I'm not going to mess that up. I am yeah. going to mess that up for yeah. sure. You know, yeah. and the thing is, on a gig like that, um, this is where it's really changed now. Um, basically, it appears to me, and I think I'm right, that they will transcribe a performance of the guy in Broadway, right? Okay, of one night and what he played, and that becomes set in stone. So now, whoever does the show plays his performance from that night. Wow, that's bonkers. Which is crazy. So if he opened the hi-hat on beat three and in mm-hmm. bar nine of the verse, mm-hmm. well, then you have to, you know, and you might think, well, that's a crazy place to open the hi-hat. Or where, let's say you've got a, a ballad tom fill into the chorus, you know, one, two, well, he might have played and you can't play your one. Yeah. They're going, no, 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 no. You're not playing that. And I'm thinking this is just, wow, it's like crazy. the tail wagging the dog, you know, now. And yeah. it's, um, so, uh, but I've been lucky that a lot of the shows I've gone in on uh, to death, there's been a little freedom. I mean, obviously there are certain things that you know have got to be set in stone, you know. Yeah, but like, our MD's got to catch out. Like, you never played the kick drum pattern, right? Yeah, apparently the guys, the American guys in Hamilton, they listen to the to like every show or every other show or something. They'll go, wow. oh, you missed the uh, open hi-hat on um, bar 19 of, well, oh, man. That's, That's not for me, you know. No. Yeah. And it's, and they, the, the thing that I find incredibly, it's, um, I find it a bit disrespectful to, to the musician, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'd agree. It's kind of like fr- like a franchise of somebody said to me, it's like, well, they use the same PA, the same set in all the theatres. They probably use the same drum set layout, the same everything. And so there you go. Just play those notes and it's going to sound, it's kind of like a McDonald's uh, approach. 
I mean, I, I, I've I've tried. I've spoken to guys who've phoned me and be like, "Yo, Chris, I, I need to buy a kit for this show, and it's got to be six. It's got to be a six piece because that's what's on the pad." And I'm like, does it really? And like, no, it doesn't. But that's what they're telling me I have to get because that's. And then they get into first rehearsal, and the guy goes, "Ah, oh, man, don't worry about that." And you're just like, "Surely there's someone somewhere can communicate this." Like, and I, and I thought of a a scenario when Tim was. I thought about the Hamilton thing. And he was saying it's kind of a hip hop thing. And I thought, man, imagine if, say, um, not that you'd wish it, but if, if, say, Tim was sick one night mm -hmm. and, oh, hey, I can't believe it. Questlove is in the audience. Yeah. Well, if, if he came in and played those grooves, he's not going to play anything that's on the page and they're going to go, oh, man, that was awesome. Yeah, totally. Totally. So I just, <laughs> and, and I think that the thing is, they, it's a total misunderstanding of what the instrument is. Mm -hmm. Yes, you want to write um, kind of unison parts where the stops are, where there's supposed to be space, but you don't want to write kind of generic fills or something that you can tell is, it's kind of like handing Jeff Picaro a part and saying, here's Steve Gadd's fills or the other way around and, yeah. and, and not wanting his input, you know? I mean, we've all seen pads where there's three hands being played. They've written a a fill that has three hands. Like guys, that, that's physically impossible. How, like, yeah, I think I think what a lot of it. I mean, you can understand the technology if you think about it. A lot of the parts are played in on a keyboard mm -hmm. and print. It comes out the other end, and, and there's your part. You know. I remember er Erskine talked about this one night, and he was talking about um, like transcriptions and playing through things, and like you might see like septuplets. Yeah. And a beat is like. How do you know the guy didn't play triplets and just rushed it, man? Do you know he just played one? He just played a note too many, and he, he was going for triplets. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a you almost need a, a a skill now, especially on film sessions, where you need to um, like unread really? before you can read. Yeah, you know, you kind of need to look at the part and go, "Wow, that's a lot of information." Mm -hmm. um, and if you really decipher it, it's basically it's probably a transcription or somebody's played a part, you know, in the old days, you would have been handed a, a sort of sample groove of one bar yeah. and there's some slashes, but these look like Zappa charts, you know, yeah. you think it, wow. Yeah. So, okay, well, it's eight bars of kind of a funk thing. And then there's a fill at the end. Okay. You know? yeah. And often they'll, often they'll say, look, that's a guy just kind of play, but yeah. that means you've got to be able to, uh, you take out your pen and just go, okay, that's bar four, bar eight, but and and not read the part. Because if you're trying to read every note, you're not going to be able to look away from the page at all. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it's almost anti-music. It's through composed and, and all that, you know. It's, and, it, and it's a misunderstanding, like I say, misunderstanding to me of the, of the instrument. I mean, for something like the horn section or the, the, the violins, the orchestra, yeah, you, they, they need every note written up, but the drums don't need every note written. No. Do you find that if you're on a session, you can kind of communicate that enough now to kind of make sometimes it be better? You know, like you know that old Springsteen thing of I hate a drummer with an idea, but sometimes the the, the, the drummer has the best ideas, you know, because he knows he or she knows the part. I was on a rehearsal once, and we were doing this Camp Basie thing, uh, and uh, it, it's a a thing where they, they played the same phrase uh, twice. Mm -hmm. But the first time, the dynamics drop to almost inaudible. Right. And then the second time, it goes massive, you know. And when we played it, everybody just played through the part because there were no uh, markings on the part. Right. So I just kind of said, hey, I think when we hit <laughs> letter D, we should come down for two bars and then massive for two bars. <laughs> and the sax player in the band said, oh, I could Billy Strayhorn back here on the drums, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like I was some mega arranger, you know, like, yeah, okay, fair play, fair play. Oh, brilliant. But I was using, you know, I was like, God, you know. Aye, totally. Like, let's be creative, lads. Let's, yeah. It Aye. was a great name to choose. It wasn't yeah. like Duke Ellington or, or Quincy Jones, Billy Strayhorn, a little <laughs> kind of a bit more yeah. left field sort of. Yeah. yeah, you know. I know my jazz as well, mate. You know, I've listened to it. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast you did recently and you were talking rather fondly of, of Max Abrams, who was... Oh, yeah. Your your first teacher, I believe. And a uh, Glaswegian. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Um, 
and I've, I've talked to a couple of people about this, but talk to me about the importance of that teacher, that first teacher on, um, like teaching you the, the foundations of the instrument. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, um, I, I sit on the fence hugely on a, on a great deal of matters, you know, because I do think, I mean, you only have to look at the massive array of music and drums and, you know, uh, there isn't one way. But for mm -hmm. me, I really enjoyed having that kind of guide guidance, you know. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's missing or do you think it's still there with, with the way that people learn now? I think it's gone to a certain degree, although some of the schools seem to be... Um, um, I think some of the schools suffer from a bit of um, modern, that they, they want to be modern and do mm. all the right stuff, you know, mm -hmm. show the kids how to work, do their social media and, mm -hmm. you know, get this is what you need to do and behave like this, do this thing. And, mm -hmm. you know, almost like they're kind of grooming them or something. You need to go for that audition, make sure you're dressing yeah. this way or something, you know. Um, Music almost seems to be the last thing sometimes. I get the, the impression, you know. Yeah. But um, certainly with Max, it was it was fabulous, you know, mm. a real grounding. I mean, I didn't really touch the drums for like three years. Wow. I can't imagine that now. I can't, I can't imagine a kid coming for a lesson and you're just, it's all pad. Yeah, exactly. You know. And um, I did see, because uh, one of the things, I'm a big fan of... Um, Murray Spivak. Mm, I know. Yeah, he taught um, one of the. Oh, what's his name? He played for Zappa. Chad Wackerman. Chad Wackerman. Vinny went to him for quite a long time. Oh, right. I didn't and, know that. Uh, Carlos Vega. Quite a. And it's yeah. a very natural, very natural way to play. You know, mm -hmm. um, and doesn't involve any uh, sort of molar type uh, shenanigans. You know, um, yeah. it's a very, very natural way to play. I can't remember. I saw this now. YouTube thing, I think. Um, and the guys were saying the same thing. He didn't teach how to play the drums. Yeah. He just taught the, you know, the the, uh, the mechanics, if you like, yeah. but basically how to hold the sticks, which is weird because Max didn't do that at all. Really? Yeah. He was completely the opposite. He didn't teach me. I was playing all uh, traditional grip. He didn't teach me any technique things. It was more like um, he was about sound. Mm. Which is which is weird to say, considering you know I only played on the pad, but he was very interested in dynamics. And I mean, I'd be playing paradiddles like you know that 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 that, and he'd say, "What is that Morse code?" You know, and and he would step behind me and hold my my hands with his, right? And it and 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 which was a great thing. I could feel this kind of. Yeah, and 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 he had this sort of swing from, I guess, Scottish pipe band, you know. Mm. So he's going, that, yeah, that, you know, and oh man, so I could feel what it should feel like to yeah. play that way instead of that, 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 that you know, this <laughs> yeah. this kind of monotone, totally, yeah, yeah. just a drivel, you know. So uh, yeah, because everything he played seemed to have a little. Um, I didn't hear him play kit but he everything when i did hear him play it swung like crazy I'm like, oh it's, man you know yeah really. I, I, and i've got to say i love all the that, that's one of my favorite sounds the pipe band oh uh, yeah it's, it's, it's yeah amazing you know when i look back on his book now max's book in hindsight there's a lot of really hip stuff in there you know really yeah really? it's not pipe band specifically you know i mean you'd have to get maybe alex duthart's book for that or something but yeah yeah but, but it's if, uh, if I remember rightly, he 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 wouldn't suffer your he wouldn't suffer fools, would he? He, he would quite happily tell you you were bad, and, and and you know that doesn't happen now. Everybody like music has become this thing where it's it's inclusive. Everybody can do it. Like well, yeah, and you and you must be patted on the back, you know. And yeah. uh, Som oh, some and sometimes it's wrong, and sometimes it's bad. yeah, for sure, for sure. I was I, I was never good at, at technical like like woodwork. Don't let me near power tools. I'll cut my hands off. But you know, it, it's okay for people to tell me that. But it wasn't okay for people to tell you that you you were playing the drums poorly. If so, if someone if someone couldn't coordinate themselves, it's like maybe it's not for you. You know, maybe it's maybe it's you should think about something else. You know. Yeah, our Max was. Uh, I mean, 
to say he was ferocious wouldn't be <laughs> overstating it. I mean, really? uh, I was really nervous, you know. Um, I mean, I was only eight. Uh, well, okay, yeah. That's... <laughs> I went I went in for eight years, but still, you know, it was... Um, but I, the, the way I think of it, I, I, I kind of think of it like he, uh, he sort of gave me... Um, a tool at a time is a good analogy. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, yeah. I feel it was like a like a toolbox that you need to kind of play the drums, right? And I sort of left there about sixteen. Like, oh, okay, that's. I mean, I'm not saying I had everything, but mm. it was a pretty good toolbox, you know. And then I, I felt like I could go anywhere from there. Like stylistically, he didn't teach me anything, right? It wasn't like he was saying, oh, you need to listen to this uh, reggae or this kind of funk or this. But never, you know. Um, the only style that we did was big band jazz because I guess you've got to relate what you're doing to music. Mm-hmm. And so it was always big band, you know, Sinatra, Cat Basie. He'd have uh, note-for-note charts written out, you know. Amazing. It sounds like as well that that sort of, there was life skills being taught about how to be a, how to handle yourself on a session, or like if someone tells you on a session it's not happening, you're not going to take that personally because you've had enough experience being told that you need to change something. Yeah. Um, again, I mean, he would leave the room for twenty minutes, half an hour. You know. <laughs> I mean, I've, I, I, looking at the diaries, he's uh, you know he's gone to do a bit of shopping or he's cleaning the car or you know but but crucially he'd come back in the room and he'd go um play number 11 again bar four and oh yeah that is the one i'm struggling with yeah yeah you're right yeah it was amazing you know man characters like that are missing eh? yeah i know i i really think so i mean there's some around like dave hassel would be a good one you know oh yeah 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 he he t- he teaches it up here from time to time on the percussion course. Yeah, Dave's Dave's great, you know, and he's not going to pull a punch. No, I I I understand it can be quite it can be quite hard to. He got me to do the drum set uh, class at the Royal Northern, uh, so that would have been pre-COVID, so nineteen. Right. And uh, I met him. We were in the bar just before or just after. I can't remember. And he said, oh, "I've just bumped into a, an ex-student." Uh, who said he reminded uh, of reminded Dave of a lesson that he'd had, right. where Dave said, uh, "Dave said, play me a, just play me a bit of time, just a bit of groove, you know, anything." And he said, uh, the, "The student said that I didn't even get to the end of the bar. Oh, <laughs> I didn't finish bar one." He said, "Dave, he put his hand on his shoulder and said, that's why they invented the drum machine.'" <laughs> oh, 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 oh. You know? And I Dave said to me like, oh, "Yeah, that's probably not the you know." Yeah, well, you know, he'll go away and practice, won't he? Yeah, and Dave, you know, said, to me, Dave said to me, he said, I do sort of occasionally provoke people to get a, to get a relation. And I think that's, yeah, that's cool, you know, because I think it is a bit too much to always be, yeah, great, you sound great. I mean, my lads had a great tennis tennis coach a couple of years back who was very much like that, you know. Really? Like, Guys, what are you doing? You know, oh, you should, uh, you know. I mean, when they were playing great, he'd be like, that's what I'm talking about. You know? Yeah. That's it. Now yeah. that's it. But he didn't mind saying, no, 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 no. I mean, it's, it's like if you were playing, it's playing sport at the highest level. Yeah, that's so, right. You don't want to, the worst thing you can do is uh, expect to pat on the back every five minutes. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's set up for disaster. Yeah, I think the other thing is, uh, like a couple of friends of mine have noted, and these are the guys that tend to go on to do well. But it's not just about the teacher. There's a point where it kind of almost switches, where you become more important than the teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, what you're asking and what you're trying to get from this. You know. Yeah, yeah. Because so you're almost almost pushing the teacher then. Because you're framing your own context or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and these will be the things that you're going to go take out into the world and 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 hopefully make music with. Like I say, just coming back a little bit. I don't think it's. Um, I don't. I wouldn't say that everybody's it's necessary for everybody to have a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's so many great players out there that are self-taught, you know, mm-hmm. but I think there's not like a set path, but I still think it's good to have a, a sort of thorough grounding, you know, and, and even things like um, depends what you want to do, but you know, like reading for me, has just been such a, a, a skill that 
I don't take it for granted. I mean, it's uh, something I do, you know, I'm very conscious of and I work on it. Yeah. But, um, man, it's just got me into so many situations I couldn't have, I wouldn't have been in or, you know, and, and, you know, it's part of the, it's maybe not the most creative sometimes, but it means you're going in to do an hour jingle Mm -hmm. uh, for, I don't know, Kellogg's Corn Flakes or something. Somebody (laughs) hands you a piece of paper, it's got 32 bars on it and there's a, you know, all the A call session players and you play it down twice and they say, thank you, goodbye. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. it's great. You know, I love I mean, that. I was looking at some of the guys that he taught, and there's like guys like Alan Cox on that list who who's played like the the London Palladium and all these places. And you don't get to do these things if you don't have those skills, man. Yeah, I mean, because I, I look back to as much as I loved all the great band players, of course, like obviously Ringo and and mm. uh, Charlie, etc., and Bonham. And, I really, the guys, when I was a kid, I, I, you know, I'd see Kenny Clare and Ronnie Stevenson on um, uh, Sunday night at London Palladium, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and man, those guys could read anything, you know. Yeah. And, and it just, it, a great sound and just, you know, having a great style of having a voice on the instrument, even yeah. though they were readers, you know. It, it, that's almost become a, a kind of a, a detriment in a way. You know, oh, do you? Re- oh, yeah. We don't need readers. We need people that play from the heart. You know, and I think, what are you guys talking about? You know, <laughs> yeah, like totally. it's mutually exclusive. You know, yeah, yeah, totally. Like, can you imagine someone? You know, you go to school. Like, do do you know how to read a book? Nah, man, I just talk from the heart. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. <laughs> I mean, it's like saying all the great classical musicians that have no play with no feel. You know, because yeah. they can read music. It's it's a it's a very um, uh, a narrow-minded. Point of view. Yeah, it's just becoming a thing that people just don't understand music. They, they understand how to work with a computer and create something, and that's valid. I'm not saying it's not valid, but of course, it, it, it's just as valid to be able to. I mean, it sight read dots. Yeah, and to be honest, I mean, let's face it: with drums, you're not reading melody or chords or um, harmony. No. Uh, you're only reading rhythm. Really, it's not yeah. that difficult. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's especially if you start early. It's something that you could get down to a certain, to a good level where you can do it, you know? Yeah, I think so. I think so. So a- apart from the tour, mate, what's next? Uh, well, we did the, uh, it was good. We did the album. That was really good fun. Um, we were really looking forward to getting that onto the road mm-hmm. uh, because they are, I mean, he's called them. If you look at the track names, mm-hmm. uh, it says, uh, say, you give me something refreshed. Right. You know, and all the titles have that because they've been kind of wiped clean and and just sort of played with this fresh sort of um, approach. You know, uh-huh. uh, so uh, there's there's just basically more of that this year. Uh, Europe, bit of Europe. Well, you know, who knows yeah. the state we're all in right yeah. now, but yeah, all being well, this the Europe stuff, and then um, uh, just more more throughout the summer and uh, into autumn. Um, yeah, uh, and then this uh, Drifter Skull thing is it's just great. It's a great gig, you know. I mean, I, I took it on in September, and it was supposed to finish now, right? Uh, and I, so, and I was going to be coming on the road with James, but now they've extended that gig till next February. Oh wow, amazing! So whether I'll stay or not, I don't know. Um, but they're very flexible. I mean, I'm away now for five weeks. Yeah off yeah. that gig you know so um they, they're very good at letting you go and you know so it's uh, yeah it's very nice brilliant good there's a few bits you know i'm doing a little uh, i was hoping to go over to um i've only just sent the email nikki isles great piano player uh i was going to do sligo jazz with her and mike walker and all these guys oh yeah yeah, um, I did it a couple of years ago. It was that was really great. But I just found we've got a gig. Um, oh, it's like it's a it should be a nice gig. San Moritz with a oh. with a travel day either side. And I'm thinking, yeah, I should. And I, I tried to find out if it was confirmed, and it is confirmed. So I can't do that Sligo thing. But um, damn it, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I'm just happy to be busy and doing some sessions, and you know, good doing this. And the, yeah, it's good. Brilliant. Well, I think we're going to go and take a look at some drums because you've got some drums on the stage. So we'll we'll uh, by the, the the magic of the internet, we will go and look at some drums with Neil. So, so uh, new theatre, Oxford. Wow. Okay. Amazing.
James Morrison. It's the what have we done? This is gig number four, I think, or wow. five. Can't remember four or five. Um, so it's a pretty. Uh, I don't want to say basic setup, but it's a. Uh, but let's say it's not a complicated setup, you know. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, because uh, oh, there's no, there aren't really lights on the kit, but. Um, oh wow! Look at that. Does that make sense? Can you see that? Yeah. So what? So every uh, for those of you who are who are listening to this, Neil is playing with James Morrison. And what is it? What are the drums you play in there, Neil? These are. Let, let's go around the front. I wish there was better lighting. Uh, and Martin's not there. He's probably having his dinner, so I won't bother him. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a Gretsch uh, broadcaster. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you can see in this light. It's a bit. The light's not really doing doing it justice. It's all right. What's what's the size? What size is he putting? So this is um, twenty by fourteen. Oh wow! Really? Wow. Yeah, twenty by fourteen. Uh, 12 by 8, mm-hmm. uh, 14, 14, and six, oh, good job, I checked that, uh, and 16, 16. Oh, cool. So it's pretty, um, I don't know if there's any, there's probably no sound on, but uh, there's no sound on. I usually use a, uh, I haven't got it with me till tomorrow, but a, uh, or day after tomorrow, a Gretsch Brooklyn Chrome Over Brass. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And But this is a, uh, a vintage Ludwig chrome over brass is that the kenny clear drum no it's not but it's the closest i could get to it this is a chrome over brass right the kenny one the kenny one is a bare like this it's just like a just chrome a, i mean like a, a brass finish yeah that's beautiful it's basically the same drum as this um but it was they some of them were chromed and some weren't and and so the kenny clear one is not chromed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so uh yeah, um, so what we've got, uh, I've got a coated uh, ambassador on here. Standard. Um, uh, and then emperors on these. So the, 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 the 12 is pretty high, yeah? Not really. That's kind of medium for me. Really? Wow, okay. Yeah, cool. yeah so it's... Uh, yeah, it's kind of medium high, I suppose. There, there's... There's a few tunes that have kind of a sort of Motown vibe. Ah, oh, cool. Okay, great. So, uh, so that that kind of takes care of that, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then cymbals. Uh, I'm using uh, these are all K cons. Wow. Uh, and it's a, so this is going to clip, is it? But that's a shame. Yeah, be, yeah. The clips on the floor. I think. I'll try it even if I do this. Nah, it's just it just doesn't like it, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. So it's just a pair of fourteens. Uh, with a very thin top, mm-hmm. uh, 18 crash, um, a 20 high bell. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, which is really thin, yeah, uh, but incredible definition. I don't know how they got that on these, and then a 19 thin, a medium thin, or oh, crash rider, they with a, with a couple of, oh, yeah. A couple of rivets, yeah, so, yeah, pretty basic. But the, the cool thing is, we um, there's no screens around any drums. Oh, uh, there's no track there's no click we don't use any click nothing i don't even use a metronome wow okay so so it's cool yeah not even i've got i've i've i, I tried to convince myself that i i really need to know these tunes enough to be able to count them in <laughs> yeah it's like without playing... looking at a metronome. i mean it's going to vary a little bit night to night maybe one bpm or something but that's the vibe of the gig you know so it's very um it's like playing in a band yeah Remember when we used to do that when we were kids and we would get together? <laughs> so, you know, Connor's got basically, you know, a couple of strats and a couple of amps. Uh, Matt's got a couple of basses uh, and an actual amp on stage. Wow. Drums. And then Rich has got this great little setup with the Hammond and whatever that is on top, but with a proper Leslie, you know. So it's, wow. it's as um, it's as old school as uh, as as it could get, you know. It's, it's funny. I've been listening to you talk. I've been watching some other podcasts and stuff that you've done, and 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 your thoughts about all that are really interesting to me about sort of getting it back to to basics, eh? Then and get yeah, back to- yeah. I mean, a lot of it can be justified, you know, but I think some of it seems to get done just because it can be done, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So we we're going to run. You know, so somebody might say, "Oh, we're going to run track with uh, 
strings, horns, BVs, you know, and because mm-hmm. they can do that, now everybody has to play with a click mm-hmm. um, so they can run the track. But actually, James, uh, one of the tunes, his new single, um, we were doing it with the track, and he said, let's try it without the track, you know, then we're all a bit freer. Amazing. So, um, does, he, does he then, like, will he change the arrangement? Yeah, a little, well, not the actual arrangement, but he's not too picky about having, like, I mean, I know some people will say, Oh, I need that snare drum sound from the album, and I need that kick sound. And where's that guitar sample? And where, you know, and if you think of go back to old gigs, like um, I mean, even like Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Stevie, and yeah. Paul Simon, and I mean, as many as you can, they, they didn't really bother about taking sounds from the record no. and play and, and triggering it live. It was just kind of um, just play the tunes, you know. Yeah, and, and you so know, just... you don't. So in other words, you didn't have. Uh, eight different snare drums for eight different tracks or samples or whatever you know I mean I do this thing with with this snare drum I use the uh, internal damper right to get it really dead really soft and then I use these little snare weight things so I I can I open this drum up in about a second you know Mm -hmm. I'll just quickly do that Mm -hmm. and that and it's like wide open is that um, I can't really see it but is it a baseball Bat damper on the drum. No, actually, this one's a, 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 a what would you call oh, it? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I see it. Yeah, yeah, I see it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is probably a little more stable. You know, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't uh, move. Yeah, it's nice because then you can dial in just the right amount without having to remove gels and all that stuff. Um, and one thing, I'm not really big on gadgets. You know, like drum boutique gadget things. You know, but oh. Matt, these things. You remember, I bought, I bought these two. I think from you guys. Yeah, that's right. Aye, that's right. Yeah, and actually, this tour is the first time I've tried them on toms, and uh, yeah, I really like it. And for the Motown, I do that, flip it up, so this drum is wide open. Yeah, so and uh, in a big venue with close miking, that's almost unheard of now to have wide open drums. I mean, but that's the beauty of the broadcaster. You know, it's got a very short uh, decay time. Yeah, naturally in the shell, so it doesn't sort of uh, resonate for. 12 seconds it's sort of (laughs) no but i mean my previous drums that i've had i've been trying to get this sound forever you know but they it's like you need a roll of gaffer tape on on the bottom head just control the resonance so and having a snare a snare drum like that when you've got the snare weight and the dampener effectively means that you you have three drums there oh yeah and and actually and i do that uh kenny claire thing you know detuning one or two lugs like all the way down you know do you know, man, you showed us that, or you remember you did that clinic with Ash, with, with Yamaha years ago, and you, and you showed us that technique, and from that day, that technique has been shown to people on a daily basis in here. It's uh, amazing. Yeah, I, I wish the uh, sound wasn't cutting out, because I'd love to give you, you guys an audio, but basically, mm-hmm. like, with it all the way out, like... Yeah, you take a key off. For, for if, if you're just listening like, to this, like, Neil, Neil is detuned the far away, the furthest away log from him on the snare drum. Yeah, basically where the uh, where you would lie uh, on this drum because it's a ten log where where the cross stick would lie. Uh-huh. It, uh huh. I noticed it detuned one time. I think because I was playing cross stick and this log had detuned and it sounded so fat, you know. <laughs> so instead of doing these ones like I had been doing, I just now do this one. It's super quick to go yeah. like, all the way up like two two. two two turns uh-huh. and now i feel like i have about four or five drums in my uh, arsenal with this one drum you know and we're back so thank you for the the, the little the kit tour man that's amazing as you saw it's uh, very simple i mean i'll often um I, I when i got these gretch uh when i got these from gretch i had a a, a 22 and an 18 right um and then about a year later, I thought, you know, because one of my favorite sounds was the sound that Gad used to get on his original kit, all that, that, that he played on through the uh, 70s, mm-hmm. uh, which was a Gretsch 20. And, right. and uh, what I didn't realize, Gretsch basically were the first to build a 20. And the, I, I've never played another 20 that's like a Gretsch. There's some magic in there. It's just got this... <laughs> Honestly, you wouldn't believe it if you were to hear that drum. It's mind-boggling. Really? Because it looked, even like when I saw it, it looked like a 22 at first. I was really surprised to hear it's a 20. Yeah, it looks minuscule on stage. If you look on, um, there's some pictures on Instagram. It does look small. So basically, it's what they call a, a what do they call it? A progressive jazz. Right, okay. Cool. Is what Gretsch called that. 
right. back in the day, a 20 yeah. by 14, 12 by 8, and a 14 floor. Yeah. And then I and I have a 16 back here, you know. Yeah, Ludwig call it the downbeat. Um, yeah, Ludwig yeah. downbeat. I don't know yeah. what, uh, Gretsch progressive, progressive jazz. I did just buy, actually, uh, an early 50s progressive jazz. Because I was just going to ask you about vintage drums. Do you, you, because you, I've seen some things on, you, do, you go to the vintage drum fair and all that, and you've got Kenny's drum. Like, do you, do you really buy into the vintage thing, the older drums? No, no actually, uh, to be fair, I've got to say, I really love, these new broadcasters mm-hmm. um and if you i mean I've, yeah i bought that uh 50s uh three-ply kit which does sound phenomenal if you asked me to take a desert island kit it wouldn't be the 50s one i would take right. this one really so yeah like- because it has all the same qualities but it has a little more headroom so they'll just kind of open up more you yeah. know when you play them soft it's I, I, personally, I can't hear the difference. I mean, maybe a little bit mm-hmm. in the room, but if you were playing one kit or the other, you would, and you're playing them on a session, you know. Uh, but once you start to get above, say, six or seven, and you're going towards eight, not, you know, they start to go, whoa, 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 just, you know, yeah, just back off a bit, you know. Yeah, yeah. Not these ones. These just wow. open up, you know, you can just keep going. They are, they're great. I've got the, um, the Sonar equivalent, the vintage series that Sonar make. Yeah, those are beautiful. And it's it's the same thing. It's like that callback to how they made them in the sixties, but they've just made them a bit harder. Just and it and it's it's funny. It's it's going to sound like a really silly thing to say, but it's an instrument in that it has range. It has a range of tone. So when you play it quietly, it's a different drum from when you play it loudly. There you go. Yes, yeah. that's right. And um, I mean, I'm, I'm glad I waited as long as I did to play Gretsch because. Um, I nearly did it when I left Yamaha back in, I can't remember when that was, when I did the Sakai thing for about three years. Mm-hmm. Um, I nearly did it then, but there was there were a few teething problems, I think. Yeah, I think they were changing, yeah. It was Simon Jays, actually, who said to me, yeah, I wouldn't do it yet. You know, I, I don't know whether he had some crystal ball or something, I don't know. <laughs> but I'm glad I waited because uh, three years later, oh, Almost exactly three years later, wow. the broadcasters came out. So they came out in 2016, so that would have been, yeah, yeah. 2013 would have been your Sakai thing, yeah. And I've played them since then. Wow. And the, that, that three-ply round edges, yeah. uh, they're not the loudest drums, but, oh, man, they, they just, you know, it <laughs> just fits me. I feel it fits me like a glove, you know. Yeah. And all those old... All those old recordings of, of Elvin and Art Taylor and Tony and yeah. Billy Higgins, and I can just hear the kind of um, DNA, you know. I can just hear it. It's, it's a nice, yeah. And Charlie, you know, you can yeah. hear all that. Yeah. So I think how you feel about them is how I feel about my sonors. You could you could actually lose time playing those drums. You just play them, and the day goes away. You'd, and, and it's almost like I don't even worry about music. I just want to play my drums a little bit, and because they 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 sound so. For me, this mine is the best kit I've ever played, you know. And also, there's a, um, I mean, I still enjoy using it maybe in one or two more toms occasionally, you know, but mm-hmm. there's certainly, um, I mean, there was a time I'm going back quite a way now, back to around the time I did a Zildjian Day in um, 95 or so, mm-hmm. um, around the mid 90s, and uh, I was using a, a bit of a bigger set, you know, but I, I suddenly realized that I can't, that I had. I'd lost touch of sort of playing the drums mm. in a kind of um, a way that for me, I missed, you know, like a, like I couldn't, pl- I didn't feel comfortable playing a four piece kit. Right. Like I had no vocabulary. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. On, on a four piece kit. And I thought, this is crazy. I need to like kind of really get rid of all this stuff and no splash symbols and no, mm. no, no, no second floor tom and no second rack tom and just play like one right and just practice on um so um and also my listening was changing i've been listening to a lot more you know art blakey philly joe mm. elvin you know so and it just steers you that direction you know so now i feel like um this the four piece set is a good kind of start place mm-hmm. you know the 12 14 20 and sometimes with the 16 at the end. Because what I like about three toms is you don't always um, what's the word, resolve uh, harmonically. You know, you don't, if you play two toms, 
you always resolve the film. You've got nowhere to go. Ah, uh, okay. Right, okay. Uh, just sonically, you know. But yeah. with three toms, I feel I can, I can play a fill and the second tom, but my floor tom, is I haven't yet resolved the fill. I can yeah. leave it hanging, in, you know. And then when I go to the floor, ah, there, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, and the tuning's very important. You don't want to leave it like if the floor tom's too high pitched relative to the second, the first one. Yeah. Uh, it's not satisfying, you know. <laughs> it, you know what yeah. I mean? You, yeah, yeah. It's like you haven't really finished it off, you know. So yeah. I like the fact that I can play what, a, a fill here or between the two and leave it. Or yeah. I can resolve the fill and, and yeah, we're done, so you know. Create some tension and all that. Yeah, exactly. Create tension just with the second tom, you know. Mm. It's a, a different way of thinking. And I think it's hard to think like that if you're playing three rack toms and two floors or I'm not, <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying yeah. you can't, but it's hard for me to do that. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I get, well, this is kind of, uh, I, I, suddenly all my ideas go, go away. Yeah. I, I get that. Yeah. 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 I, I wish it wasn't it. like that. I mean, Gad doesn't seem to have a problem doing that, but if you notice when he solos or he often plays on yeah. four drums, yeah, he'll often only play rack one and the first floor time. I mean, All these ideas tend to be yeah. on those drums, you know. It's like just watch Buddy play. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, or the, or a floor, Tony or Elvin yeah. or you know, Floor Tom Two is for the towel and, and your and, and your beer or something. You know? Yeah, that's what Roger, my, the tech says to me. He says, "I'll just put your tea on this one." You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But listen, mate, thank you so much for coming for coming on. Real pleasure, a real pleasure, and I can't. I mean, I'll do my best to come see you guys. You know, you know, we've moved. If you're coming up to Glasgow, the shop has moved and all that. We're in a different place now. How far? How? It's like a taxi ride. It's like a, a, a five ten minute taxi. Oh, so, perfect. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it'll just drop you off at the door. It's, I think uh, uh, Greg McCaffrey. Oh, great, cool, yeah. He's going to come to the gig, so I think maybe I'll meet him in the afternoon. Maybe we'll try and come over. Brilliant. When's the show up here? It's the last gig, actually, so I think that's April 10th. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, well, it would be great to see you, man, if you can make it's it has been up. going great. I mean, it's like I say, the, the fact to have something that's so um, really all about music and nothing else is... It's getting so rare, you know, it really is. Yeah, you can see it's kind of put some vibrancy in you, man. You can see you look quite happy about it, you know. It's <laughs> great. That's yeah. Good. But yeah, I hope tonight goes well. Um, I hope tonight goes well. And uh, yeah, we'll hope to see you soon, mate. Great. Thanks so much. And Take say care. hi to all the guys at the shop. Cheers, Neil. See you soon, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of Drummers Only Radio. You can find us online at www.drummersonly.co.uk. Drop us a line. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Drummers Only. UK. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We're on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Any questions? Info at drummersonly.co.uk is the email, or if you need leads, it's leads at drummersonly.co.uk. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Drummers Only.